Well, welcome back. It is our fourth season of Unplugged. We're delighted to be here. Obviously, we would have kicked it off a, a little bit earlier, but uh, it's been a struggle, as I'm sure most people could understand, obviously getting back into life uh, throughout the other uh, pandemic. But we are ready to roll for a big season. We're certainly hoping that it is a big season for the guys. The girls have got underway. They battled hard against a fair bit of adversity this season in terms of player availability and, and change and fixturing and the like but there are clear signs of improvement there so we'll touch on how they've been pushing on as the season uh, has progressed we'll look ahead to our second hit out our first official hit out against Essendon this weekend on the men's side of the draw the Carlton game last week which doesn't look so bad now that they're going to win the flag the Blues so uh, that's something that we can certainly look towards uh, or look back on and then uh, look forward as well with some interest we are also going to chat with a, a man whose name will be indelible with the history of the club for as long as the game is played. Uh, everyone always remembers the iconic Leo Barry mark from the 2005 grand final, but nearly 40 years earlier, Bob Murray did exactly that for St Kilda with the game on the line and how very different history might be for the St Kilda Football Club if that did not happen. Uh, it was a pivotal moment in a pivotal match in our history. So we'll chat to Bob, not just about that, but his journey. You can certainly uh, hear the passion in his voice when he talks about uh, the love of the club. He turns 80 in a few weeks' time, but still uh, sharp as attack and obviously full of passion for the Saints. But uh, I'll start off with you, Nick, as we welcome you back for another season. Uh, obviously, we, we didn't put our, our post-2021 hats on uh, to the extent that we've done perhaps in previous seasons. But what was your post-mortem or you'll look back at, at the at the off-season and, and the year that was. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's, uh, it is good to be back. We've been, I know we've been talking about doing this first episode for a, a long time and just never kind of got around to, to getting back to it. But um, it, it has been what felt like a very long off-season. Uh, I think last year was in probably equal parts devastating and also promising. There was, you know, it's kind of St Kilda has this habit of being completely polarizing and, and they can put up an absolute stinker one day and then five days later uh put up a cracking effort and, and that's that's kind of what we did last year the first half of the season was was really disappointing and, and obviously things got better during the second half of the season and, and performances improved and uh you know it got back on track to, to some extent but you know the kind of the damage was done earlier in, in the season and we were never kind of able to get back to to 50 50 uh properly and, and and get back even though we were kind of still in the frame for a finals berth towards the end of the season. It was just, you know, was just a step too far for us after what we put up earlier in the year. Um, but, you know, promising, promising signs uh, in some of the, the preseason games so far, obviously it was a pretty impressive uh, draft haul for us. Everyone that we wanted that we spoke, to, you know, in our final episode last year, the two uh, next gen Academy boys that we really wanted in, in Win Hager and Owens, uh, we were able to walk away with as well as uh, Josiah Kyle and Jack Paris uh, as rookies and, and able to also bring in uh, probably the best kick in the draft in uh, Wanganin Malera, which is you know, obviously a skill set uh, that we dearly need and, and have lacked for, for some time. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how you know, Rats lines this team up in, in round one. I, I'm not sure if we're going to learn too much out of the the loss to Carlton uh, a week ago and, and, you know, whatever comes next in, in the Essendon, Amy community series, Anset cup, wizard cup, toilet bowl <laughs> competition. Um, but, you know, it's not really about that. You know, I'm really looking forward to, to round one and, and seeing how, you know, how the club lines up. H what about you? Yeah, I think I'll 
think you've summed it all up pretty well there. That last last year was one of those years that you sort of look like when it, it looked like it was just about to turn our way, something just went wrong and pushed you back. And it, it just one of those seasons you go, it didn't work out. And that and that's as simple as you can put it. I mean, we we didn't play that many bad games. It was the bad we just ones didn't have that bad. last. Yeah, <laughs> the bad ones are really bad. There was a, just a few of those, and there were some the bad quarters that we'll, cost us in other in games yeah, where we yeah. played pretty well. Yeah, whereas other years we've had many bad games, and it hasn't. Nothing's worked. We've lost a couple of games where we've gone. Well, we probably should have won that. We lost a bit of percentage on games where we've had control and let a team back in. It, it's just it wasn't a complete four quarter performance throughout the entire season i think we i reckon we played two three games where we controlled a game for four quarters almost yeah um, i think yeah so probably it's... brisbane and uh was probably our best performance of the year yeah, um yeah. and Frio, maybe. richmond richmond was wasn't too bad in the in the wet on the friday night yeah so it was just one of those ones where we just couldn't put enough together so you'd almost look at a season and go, look, we if you broke the season up into four quarters, we probably had two and a half to three decent quarters. Hmm. But you need that three and a half, three, three and a half minimum to have a good season. So it's just getting those last little bits right, getting the getting in these players just to fill the gaps that we need, get back to players like Patton. He was a huge hole we lost, hmm. missed last year. We missed as soon as Gresham was gone, that that created a massive hole. That I mean, Dunstan came in and did pretty well, but Gresham was a huge hole uh, when he when he went out injured. So getting him back, getting Patton back, we've unfortunately lost um, Caulfield now. So there's a little bit of a like for like, I guess. So yeah, it'd be just a matter of just get getting the team together, getting them in the right direction, and yeah, hit round one hard. Yeah, the, the season last year in a lot of ways almost defined by the Geelong games, both of them. Um, obviously, the year was... There were losses that were hard to explain. So the, the Essendon loss early, the, the Bulldogs lost especially. I know they were a good mm. side, but it shouldn't happen to that magnitude. Richmond the first time, uh, Port Adelaide the first time, Carlton late in the year. Um, Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide. Half against the Crows. Yeah, when we um, went goalless for an hour or thereabouts. Um, so there were things that were difficult to explain. But then you, I mean, I thought our season, we got back to four and four and then lost a game to Geelong, which we should have won comfortably. We, we slaughtered shots at goal. If you win three in a row, then we would have jumped into the eight at five and four. And you wonder what that does to your momentum. And then obviously we played Geelong again late in the year where we had to win to stay alive, kick the first five goals of the game. And then Max King went off with a hammy and uh, we're only a point down with four minutes to go in that match and, and just got nutted late. So we probably should have won both Geelong games. Um, and that would have been factoring in. We win both the Geelong games, we make the eight. And then you factor in the, the inexplicable shockers that we had. So the optimist says uh, we... We had a lot of shockers. We had a lot of injuries. We couldn't get any momentum and we missed the eight by a game. Uh, and then there's the other factor saying, well, are any of those problems still lurking below the surface? Are they still likely to throw up a couple of them? I don't know. Um, how's the fitness of the, you know, our ruck stocks and things like that. But yeah, I think Gresham uh, and Patton basically new recruits. Josh Battle is a defender, basically a new recruit. I think they have to find a spot for him. And I think that is the spot for him. Um, yeah. 
uh, definitely. And then, yeah, what do we get out of, uh, obviously, Windhager and, and Owens? It was so important that we got them in the the academy. Uh, Owens has got a good size frame, works hard. Windhager presented well. Looks like he'll play some footy. I guess the other changes were the Jack Hayes news confirmed this week. He looks pretty comfortable at the level. Uh, Patrick Nash was training with the club, but he's been moved on. He's actually with West Coast training with them at the moment. So it looks like Jared Lynott will get that last spot. And uh, I reckon, he's a I reckon any, of, any of us three yeah. could get a game with West Coast at the moment. So Probably. They've got nothing left, really. But, um, yeah, Jared Lynott looks like he'll probably get that spot. So uh, he's a defender who can kick the thing a mile, as he showed in the intra-club match. He's pretty tough. Um so yeah, a lot of and Marshall would have played what half the games last year. So yeah, he's a he's a big factor. Darren, I wanted to ask you, mate. I mean, we've heard a lot of stories about the those two in particular, next gen boys in, mm-hmm. in Owens and Winhager. But um, I guess yeah, everyone's seen the same stories. You know, whether it's from you know Kevin Sheehan or Cal Toomey or whoever, everyone sees those stories. But mm-hmm. most of us never saw those kids playing. You you were. You're one of the few you were able to commentate some of those games mm-hmm. uh, last year and in previous years. What, what's your take? Obviously, you, you saw them up front um, and close at the intra-club as well. Um, yep. what, what's your take on, on those two specifically? Well, Owens appears to have grown even in that little short space of time between, say, July last year and, and now. Um, certainly, muscular-wise, he's got a big frame. But So, yeah, I called the Vic Metro Big Country uh, championship match last year in the middle of the year was at Windy Hill. Um, Mitch Owens was an emergency for that game, um, but a player, I can't remember who it was, went out of the side an hour or so before and he played and was best on ground, had 32 touches, seven tackles, kicked a couple of goals. And I thought, and I didn't know, and it was actually Kevin Sheen who was next to me, he said, oh, he's aligned with St Kilda's Academy. And obviously the, the the eyes prick and you're like, well, hang on a sec. So then you start following him very closely. And for the rest of the year, um, he just got better and better. He fed off that game where he went from not being in the team to playing and dominating. Um, and he's, he just grew in confidence. And in a way, had the season not have stopped with COVID, he might have played so well that he would have got taken top 20 and we would have lost mm. him. So that's a very small blessing that comes out of that. Uh, Windhager played forward in that game. Um almost exclusively as a small forward, um, got a few touches, looked lively, didn't dominate. Um, but then he obviously started to play a bit higher up the ground as the year went on. So um, very, very promising. He, that intra club performance was probably, I probably saw him play four times. That was probably the best of, of all of those. He looked really comfortable in, in that game. The other ones who probably won't play footy this year is, is Max Heath. For those who watched the intra-club match, he probably beat Marshall four or five times in, in direct ruck contests. Um, he took a big mark in a goal square. He's still got some way to go, but um, it's very hard to tell with Ruckman, but he looks pretty good to me. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one to, to watch. Another year or so of education of, of the rider Marshall variety. He, he looks like he'll be able to make it and make it pretty well. So, um, and obviously Paris, who you mentioned, the son of Nova Paris, um, who was a dual Olympian. Um, so you'd expect him to have a bit of pace and, and he looks like he does. So, um, yeah, I think it was a pretty good haul, all things considered. Now, you say battle, I guess, is a kind of a new recruit when you look at it. We're going to actually, looks like we might find a position for him and settle him into it. Do you think Corey Enright had much input in that? Do you think he's been possibly looking at it from the outside and going, he should be a defender? Yeah, because there's one yeah. of the key changes in the in behind the scenes. 
that, that probably is the key change from a from a footy mm. department perspective is, is Corey Enright and you know his his reputation both as a player and as a, as a footy brain and, and coach uh, as well. But I mean, Josh Battle's best footy. I, mean, I know he was drafted as a forward. He was an underage, came in with a, a big you know, kind of developed but underdeveloped body, um, and never really settled in the forward line for us. But his best mm. footy has been as a defender, you know, whether it's as a third man up or, or loose man in defense or, or even at center half back, as we, we've seen before. And, and I'm really excited to see what, what he can do if, if, as it looks like he has, he's kind of been given that spot and been told you're the center half back now, make it your spot and it's yours. The, yeah. The game to think back to is the Freo game at, mm. yep. at Marvel that time that, that he, he owned the back line that day almost when you look at it, it you look back and he was just everywhere. So Took that game-saving mark as well. Took 14 oh, marks that day. Yeah. yeah, it'd just be so good to see Kicked him. Goldest before finally that well. get that. Yeah, finally get that position, and just own it because we we know how good a footballer he can be. Mm. We've seen that he just hasn't been given the opportunity to do it. Not for him, yeah. Because in 19 he played back and was top five in the BNF. 2020 he started forward and looked okay. And then last year he was everywhere, ruck, wing, back, mm. forward, and then got dropped because he lost his lost his way. So, and the fear was you'd lose him if you didn't, you, you were kind of wasting an asset because he was so multifaceted. Mm. But um, yeah, the, and particularly with, with Carlisle and Frawley and these guys gone and, and even Caulfield, who's a small, probably a medium defender, mm. battles, um, battle gets that opportunity and he should stay there all year because shaman can take that forward role so. well he, he's almost the you know he's got all the the attributes and, and the tools that all of the great defenders currently have and you look at at guys you know whether it's alex rance or uh uh Jay, you know jake lever or uh, jeremy mcgovern almost jeremy howe to some extent um in, in the ability to get across the ground reads the ball incredibly well in the air understands where it's going to be when it's going to be uh, but he's also a beautiful kick of the ball. You know, great hands to, to mark it and read it, but beautiful kick of the ball, whether it's at goal or at field level um, and, and hitting up players further up the ground. I think he's kind of, he's that perfect um, blend of defense and offense from that position. Um, and, and it's just a matter of him taking that opportunity. And, and like, like we've said a number of times, you know, over a couple of years, I think that he's never had that opportunity to settle into one spot. Uh, and like you said, Paco, you, you know, it's kind of, it's the blessing and the curse is he's got all these attributes and he can play multiple roles and do, you know, interesting things at either end of the ground or in the middle or, or whatever, but has never been able to settle into one spot and play his best footy for an entire season. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really exciting for, from a fan perspective to be able to kind of think of him as, as a center half back and not as a swing man, not as a forward move defender, you know, whatever. Um, let's see what we're going to do with Josh Battle this week. Um, yeah, and, and I think that he must, that must give him some relief and, and some calm as well. Yeah, and we need, um, obviously, Marshall and, and Ryder to stay fit so we don't have to throw him onto the ball or anything like that. So um, whether they go with Sharman, who rucked a bit in the intra-club match, um, obviously Tom Campbell's on the list as well, who 20-odd hit-outs last week, even though we got murdered in the middle of the ground. So we'll... Um, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on those games as well. Um, obviously, on a, on a personal front, I'm creating the NBN in the off-season, so hopefully my coverage isn't shithouse anymore. We had some problems in uh, in previous seasons. Did, uh, but, was, it, yeah. was it Sammy Hamill's parting gift from the club that he, yeah, he got yeah. to that router that he promised? Yeah, it's a, a mysterious box showed up on the um, on the front front porch. So I think that was the other modem from, from Sammy. But um, now Cranbourne finally discovered that, that NBN exists, so uh, we're able to eventually go down that path. But... Kick around the corner from Sermon, won't be enough. The Saints break through for their first win of the season. 336 days since they last got to sing the song and they'll do it again this afternoon. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll touch on the, the Essendon and the Carlton, uh, the, the previous Carlton game and the upcoming Essendon game and then I'll look towards the Pies in round one. But I guess a comment on the girls, it was always going to be very tricky this year. Obviously, uh, we're certainly hoping that our our best player, Georgina Petrikios, uh, will be back and available for next season. But it's unfortunate um, the, the way that has all unfolded. And, and I guess the less said, the better in, in many respects. We've obviously had injuries. We had the coaching change. Um, we had issues around certain aspects of fixturing. But look, we, we lost the West Coast game. We probably should have won. We were competitive against Brisbane. It's hard to put that in a should have won basket because they kicked three goals 13 that day and, and had way more shots than we did. Definitely should have beaten the Giants. That was a, a disaster. Um, you don't, you know, footy's back in February well and truly when you storm out of the house in a half, um, losing a game like that. And then they got what they deserved clearly against the Suns. They, they thoroughly deserved that result. It looked like it was going to go the same way. Um, but yeah, a, lot, a really good tick for their confidence. It was going to be tough for them this year. But one thing I have liked, with the exception of the Carlton game, which was a disgrace, it must be said, um, I think they've fought pretty hard. I think they've, against the odds, they've been fairly gallant. They've, they've, they've certainly battled to improve, and I think they have. So if you, if you put the Carlton game as an outlier, I think their, their effort has been pretty solid. I think you've I yeah. think you've nailed that. I mean, like you said, it, it was always going to be tough for them this year, and then they lose. Patrikios and Smith, uh, you know, which just makes things, you know, inconceivably harder. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to quantify, you know, when, when you're already lacking in, I guess, overall squad talent, um, you know, I've got some very good players and then you lose most of those very good players mm. for whatever reason. Um, it, it was almost impossible from the start. And then you add in the COVID rescheduling and the fixture changes and not being able to play at home and a whole range of things. It was always going to be a very, a very tough season. Um, but you're right. I mean, you, you can never, you can never blame them or, or accuse them of not having a crack. Um, and, and to their credit, they've played some pretty good footy at times. You know, they've opened games often. It's, it's, Usually in that first quarter, they play some really, really good footy. And then whether it's fitness or, like I said, that, that lack of talent or, or whatever, um, they, they tend to drop the ball a little bit. But they don't stop trying. And, and even when they've, when they've been belted you know, once or twice, you, you can still tell that they're still running games out as best they can. Um, and it's just a shame that they, you know, they don't have some of those girls around them that, that can lift them up and make them better. Yeah. You, you definitely couldn't say they haven't had a crack at it because – you, I don't know how many times I've looked at the score and you're in the second quarter, the third quarter, and the scores are almost level or they're ahead. And have, well, I haven't had the chance to actually sit down and watch the game. And then you look at the score again, they go, oh, they got absolutely belted in the last 20 minutes. It just, But that's what happens with a young, inexperienced and lacking, I guess, that, that top tier 
of player. Um, they lo- as soon as you lose that, as you're saying, it's harder for, I guess, a group to bring everyone up together instead of having that leader who, or a couple of leaders who really push the team along and pull them out of a, I guess, a hard situation where a team's got a bit of momentum. If you haven't got those leaders, it's really hard to stop. So it's a matter of they've shown it for the first few quarters and then that young and experience has, has just come out and the other, the oppositions, which like you look at the Melbourne game, how experienced Melbourne are. We held with them for three quarters and then they've just blown us away in the last mm. quarter. Yeah. It's that it, if you looked at the first three quarters and just watched that game, and went, yep, that's a good game of footy. If you watched just the last quarter, you've gone, how, how was this team even close mm. at that point? It's, yeah, just a, it's just two games within the one game when you look at them that, that way. I'm going to, um, propose a segment that we perhaps introduced this year called that's very St Kilda um because <laughs> there are two things that come to mind as being very St Kilda that and every week will, there'll be something that's very St Kilda it's very St Kilda that of all the players in the competition our best player is the one doing our own research that's the that's very St Kilda and the other one that's very St Kilda is that the umpire uh, forgot to blow the whistle the yeah. time on in the Giants game and we lose 23 seconds and get beaten after the siren. That's very St Kilda. Um, which which top, one of those would, would you say is more St Kilda? Probably that last one, I would yeah. say, is, is yeah. very St Kilda. When the ball wouldn't have even left our forward line if that if that uh, whistle had been blown correctly. And I remember watching it at the time and had noticed it but didn't think much of it. I'm just like, shouldn't the clock be ticking? Yeah. Um, I, but I, I actually thought we were why, safe. Why so isn't, yeah. I remember thinking, why isn't Tani White running the clock down? Yeah. Like, why is she blazing away? And she, you know, and I think she's going to be a star, by the way. I'm mm-hmm, very impressed mm-hmm. by Tani White. Well, but, she kicked the goal that put us in front. Yeah. 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 And, and did a couple of other things mm-hmm. around the ground, you know, in that kind of those passages of play. But yeah, it, it, that was very St Kilda. Not getting an immediate result as Xavier Clark attacks it. Gary up in midfield. Oh, magnificent from the G train, like a ballet dancer. Gives to Fisher and to Revolt. Well, what inspiration from Twinkle Toes Gehrig. Voss, long ball forward, Milne, Brown, Gehrig, look at Big Phrase, stands, gets around Rivers and kicks a goal. Great effort. Course of the year. I guess the other one is it's at the time of recording, maybe not at the time of listening, but at the time of recording is Fraser Gehrig's birthday, the G train. So I'll put you both on the spot whilst I give mine your favorite Fraser Gehrig moment. Mine is probably a collection of moments. My favorite thing about Fraser Gehrig was his sneaky play on where he'd take a mark yeah. and then he'd, he'd walk, take a few steps in and point at the grounds whilst the umpire and the defender would take a look at it. And then he'd almost use the umpire as a block and then he'd sprint off. He was quite quick, Fraser. And I used to love that where he'd, he'd take the mark, point at the ground and then just barrel away and kick a, uh, a tremendous goal on the run that would get the crowd up. He, he did it a couple of times in the preliminary finals in, in 04 and 05. So uh, there's a lot of funny stuff with Fraser, but I love that. It was uh, very clever. Yeah, those those first couple of steps, he just kind yeah. of shuffled, shuffled off the mark and then just mm-hmm. went into that loping gate and then bang yeah well i I did see i'd remember something from back when he was playing apparently over the the 10 meter sprints he was our fastest yeah almost the league's fast knowing that at at west coast at west coast he he won their sprints and their bench press 
He holds a record in the AFL, I think, in bench press. I think so yeah. I think so. Yeah. H, H, your favourite Fraser Gehrig moment? Uh, I'd have to go back to the the winning goal against North Melbourne. I'll, mm. I'll sit, I was sitting right in that pocket, right yeah. where he right where he was, then <laughs> kicking, and I was. I kind of remember having uh, a view that I couldn't see the goals. So I was directly in line with the post. So I couldn't see around or if it was where it went through sort of thing. But I, so I kind of watched him as to what was happening. And unfortunately he doesn't give much away. So I had to then work with the cheer <laughs> squad if they went up or not. So, but yeah, it was just a it sort of, you could see it from a long way away that he, the ball was going to land in his chest because right? half picks, half picks it up in the midfield and you're looking and you went, He's by he's one out. He's by him by himself with his defender, and you're going. He's going to get this ball, and yeah, de- delivered. It wasn't a great kick actually, but it landed on his chest and did the trick. Put it put it through, and yeah, it was a great great result that one. Hard to go past that one. Yeah. It is, and that was that was one of my two. And so I'll, I'll go with the other one, and that was the uh, the first quarter demolition of Brennan Favola. <laughs> um, I, I loved that moment. It was kind of one of those memories when you, you look at. You know, the, the old-fashioned key forward. And, and obviously for us, you know, we go to Plugger at Moorabbin and some of those games like the Adelaide game in 91 where, where he's mm. kicking bags in the first quarter and just destroying fullbacks and, and what, what Plugger did to, um, to Danny Hughes in, in 91. That was like what, what G-Train did to, uh, to Fev in, uh, in that, that day when Pagan put Fev at fullback to teach him a lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he got taught a lesson very early and very quickly. And uh, I'm not sure he ever went back into the defensive 50 again. Mm. Um, probably the other one just before we chat to Bob Murray is the official opening this week at the Danny Frawley Centre at Moorabbin. We've followed that journey um, since its inception. It's been an idea in the, the works for a couple of years now. And uh, I was lucky enough to speak to, to Chelsea Frawley during the week in another media role. And um, she sort of summed it up at the end saying that Dad always used to joke that um, he should have had his name on a stand or a name on the ground or his name on somewhere. And now he does. It's obviously a shame that he's not around to actually see that, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, that legacy and, and all of the hard work he did, uh, it's, it's good that that will be acknowledged. We mentioned it a bit, and a lot of members will have the chance to put their name on seats in that grandstand, which sits at the front of the Danny Frawley Centre at Moorabbin. So, yeah, it's that, that timely reminder and, and certainly you know, a very worthy place upon uh, that, uh, upon that, that venue, which was his home for so long. Yeah. Probably not much more we can, we can say on that. I think you summed that up pretty nicely, but um, obviously we, we've been lucky enough to talk to, to Chelsea, mm. uh, Stewie Lowe and, and Rob Harvey and, and Berkey and, and all those guys that, that played with and, and loved Spud um, uh, as we all did as, as fans. But um, you know, if you want some, some tear jerkers, go back and listen to those ones. Yeah, it, it sort of prompted me to do that a bit during the week, actually, after after that chat. So, yeah, it's, um, it's fitting. It's, it's always that famous story because Bob Murray is the in the St Kilda team of the century. And um, one of my favourite Danny Frawley stories is actually, you know, in a media sense, one of our hosts used to um, obviously just assume that he was in the team of the century and used to um, introduce him on air every week as team of the century defender, Danny Frawley. And he wasn't in the team of the century, but for two years, he never once corrected that, uh, that statement, <laughs> so, um, which I thought was very amusing. He didn't, didn't lean over and say, I'm actually not in the team of the century. But, so, um, so I think he was very happy for that to be said. <laughs> so, so here's a question. Who, who's named at fullback in the team of the century? Cause Bob Murray's named on the bench. Verdon Howe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Retrospectively, Max would obviously go pretty close too. So. Have to. 
Yeah. And um, and obviously you, you look at even modern guys like Chips, uh, not at full back, but certainly within that defensive setup uh, as well. But um, a man who is in the team of the century as a defender and for very good reason, for more than just one moment, but it was a pretty special moment at that. We speak of Bob Murray. Nearly 40 years before Leo Barry, there was Bob Murray. The 1966 grand final is remembered for a lot of things, but the final passage of play when Des Tuddenham racing down the outer side wing at the MCG had a full ground in front of him and drove the ball inside 50. It was Bob Murray that took the mark that repelled that one final foray for Collingwood and helped deliver the goods for us. It was a 12-year career, though, that netted a best and fairest, 150 games for the club, eight-time representative of Victoria. So a very fine player with a very fine moment as well. Bob, thank you for your time. No worries, Dan. Now, that moment, as, as I say, Des Tudnam running down the wing, everyone always says he had a paddock in front of him. He could have taken three bounces and, and carried it further. Uh, obviously, he's kicked, and, and you've read it. Can you take us through that moment? Yeah, well, he probably could have uh, run a bit further, but in retrospect, time was getting on in the game, so he probably thought that he'd uh, deliver it down as quick as he could. And really... That's the way forwards like it to come anyway. Quick and uh, quick and long, if they can. But just, uh, I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, really. Now, Bob, as I guess the really the, one of the few people to, to have that feeling, but what was that moment like when uh, yeah, the siren went and all of a sudden St Kilda were premiers for the first time? And, and what, was that, what was that moment like? Well... To be honest, Nick, it was a, a real relief. Like uh, the pressure of uh, being in that position and being the first team to win it, like the realisation wasn't there for me. It was just utter relief that uh, we'd finally made it. And it was only after you sort of grew used to it, really, that the fact that you had when you, in, in some ways you thought you were having a dream and thought you were going to wake up. <laughs> This game hasn't happened as it, as it has turned out. Did Jeans put much emphasis on 65 and then making sure that we did the same, didn't happen the, in 66? And did, did he play much on it or just put that behind and said, this is what we're looking at. We're focusing on where we are right now sort of thing. Um, no, Jeans, he didn't mention it at all, really. But certainly uh, a lot of play. I know it was a big motivational factor for me because I know how we felt after the game. And I, I remember going out at three-quarter time when we were leading the huddle and Benji gave a fantastic speech. And I just commented to a couple of guys around us, don't forget how we felt last year. 
let's give it as much as we can. And uh, it was certainly, to me, and I'm sure to others, a motivational factor because the feeling after losing the grand final is just horrendous. Often likened it to losing a close relative or friend. Yeah, I can we can certainly sympathise. Unfortunately, we've uh, we've experienced that side, but not the other side. Um, sadly, in in our time since. But um, Alan Jeans, you, you had the one coach at St Kilda. It was Alan Jeans the the whole time. He coached from sixty one to seventy six, and you were there sixty three to, to seventy four. Can you take us through that special yeah. relationship? Every player speaks so passionately about Jeansy, and you mentioned that speech at, at three quarter time as well. Yeah, I think Jeansy was as much about character development as he was about developing the football because he was a man of high character. He was a bit demanding, but he was fair, and uh, he, he expected people to be given their best and he expected the best and he gave his best. But he also tried to build the character of the people and the place because really footy clubs that get on and and we are terrifically close mates all of the fellas down there and I'm sure that had a, a big, big bearing in uh, us being able to, to get to where we got. But James, he always encouraged high character Humble in defeat, humble in victory, and uh, and also defeat. Don't go lair rising and things like that. Just take it in stride, and that was his doctrine, really. Now, Bob, I guess before that moment, before you were, I guess, universally recognised as, as the best fullback in in the VFL, uh, you came to St Kilda as a, a forward. You were born in Tassie. Grew up in Victoria and spent some time with Sandringham. Is is that right in the VFA? Yes, so I went to Sandy when I was uh, seventeen. Uh, so I played with a, a church group called Elsinore United. Uh, I didn't have any much junior football in those days. I played a little bit of under fifteens at Melbourne High, but the rest of it was pretty well open age. So I went from Elsinore to Sandringham. At the end of a season, after a season, we finished and played a couple of games in the second. And then next year, I went and uh, played for them for the next three years. And what what was the... We're, we're lucky. What, how, did, how did you end up at St Kilda from, from Sandringham? Um, St Kilda got in touch with me and asked me if I'd be interested in going down. I actually went down and trained and played a couple of practice matches in 1962. But I, I just, uh, I, I think it was the mates thing, really. I wanted to, I'd made so many good mates at Sandy that I wanted to keep playing with them. And then, so I went back to Sandy and played that year there. And that year we actually were lucky enough to win the grand final. So that in itself was a big reward. But, then in 63, they, they asked me to come down again. I did the, the full pre-season. So, yeah, you started in the forward line in 63. 64, yes. didn't didn't play any games. I haven't seen yet. I'm not sure whether that's an injury or that was a change in weren't getting games. But 65, you came back as a defender. Where, what was the transition there? Uh, in 64, I did my cruciate ligament in my left knee in a practice game. So I 
percent the whole year. In those days, they didn't have the technology they do today to, to really repair it, so you just had to get it going, and it was virtually, you know, bits loose and that for the rest of my career because they didn't have the ligament reconstruction like they do nowadays. So I missed 64, and then in 65, I started back and played a few games forward in the, the seniors, and then the form wasn't red hot. So I can remember we played at Geelong one day, and yeah, Genji came up, and I was in the seconds, and he came up and said, Have you ever played in the back line? I said, No, I haven't really. I've played in my whole career. And he said, I'm going to play at fullback today in the, in the reserves at Geelong. And then uh, that transpired. And coming out on the bus, he came up and sat next to me and he said, How'd you find it? I said, No, oh, it was pretty good. You know, I, I enjoyed it because probably being a forward, you knew what forwards didn't like you doing, like the parts of the ground you didn't like shut off and things like that. So you had a bit of insight that way. And she said, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm considering playing a fullback next week. And I said, oh, well, I'll give him another game. He said, but in the seniors. And I said, I don't know. Anyway, he did. We played Melbourne at the NCG. They hadn't been beaten. I went to fullback and Jordan Howley was brown like medalist for fullback. He went to full forward that day. I can still remember the start of the game, actually. I walked up to the... Uh, the end where John Lord was the full forward for Melbourne, and you could see him just smiling, thinking, This guy doesn't even know which way they're kicking. You transitioned from Junction Oval, where St Kilda played up until 65, to Moorabbin. You played in the first game at Moorabbin, 51,000 people against Collingwood. It seems remarkable to comprehend that at the moment, but. Can you take us through that? I mean, what it was like having the new home and, and having it embraced so much the way it was? Yeah, it was huge. Absolutely huge. Like, I don't know how they fitted that many people in the ground because it was just chock a block and overflowing. And, uh, but yeah, it was loud and it really set up the Raven as a, you know, a dream new forest popularity of it was terrific and when you look back like the old St Kilda ground was a beautiful surface and a lovely ground to play on but uh, they couldn't come to terms with the ticket club because they were virtually the owners I think they couldn't come to terms with the you know financial side of things so they had to move out. And I guess the follow-up on the 65-66 thing, I heard Neil Roberts once tell a story that in 65, before the grand final, all of the players got their family together and organised them and caught up with everybody. And it was a completely different setup. And Alan Jeans reportedly in 66 said, no, no, don't worry about that. We'll take care of your family. We'll do all of that. You keep Friday nights normal. You keep Saturday morning normal. Was it a bit like that where it was maybe in 65, we lost a bit of focus and, and got it right the next time? Uh, I'm not sure about the, the focus side of things, but it, it certainly you've got to keep your routine as normal as possible. You don't want to be out of routine, and probably we were a bit out of routine because of that, but I don't think it had any great influence. Just on the day, Westman played much better than we did. We were probably a bit overawed because, you know, being in our first granny, 
yeah, we were, you know, all nervous and uh, just didn't perform on the day. Bob, obviously, everyone talks about those those couple of moments in the 66th grand final. Obviously, your mark, Barry Breen's point. Um, there are you know, a few things I think that maybe the younger generation either don't know or, or haven't been told or whatever, you know, things like Cowboy Neal's performance, um, obviously Doc Baldock on, on one leg uh, and, and what he was able to do coming in, into that game injured. Um, what, what are your memories of, of that day in particular? I mean, outside of the, you know, th- those things that everybody knows that they've seen in the highlights and that sort of stuff, but what, what are your particular memories of that game? Oh, look, there's one fellow, uh, Ian Cooper, who unfortunately passed away a few months ago. He, he played a brilliant game, especially in the first half that day. He, he probably had never got the recognition that he deserved on his game. Although he got best player, he won the, the medal too. So that's good recognition. But really, in the public eye, he didn't get as much recognition as, say, Greeny's point. And you talk about Cowboy, he kicked five goals out of ten. Yeah. Half your score. So that's a big effort. And, uh, and then, look, every everybody just played their role that day. Brian Minot was tireless. And the people that weren't really well-known, John Bingley had played four or five games for St Kilda, and he played, they brought him in to play on Tottenham because Tottenham kicked seven goals in the second semi-final, and he did a terrific job. He was just on on his toes all day and kept him honest. Tottenham still played okay, but certainly didn't dominate the game like he did in the second semi. So there's only a few minutes of footage of the aftermath of the game in the rooms and that sort of thing, but how long did it actually go on for? (laughs) Well, the partying probably went on for about three weeks, I would have thought. (laughs) But... uh, we uh, all went out that night to the Southern Cross and then Brian Sierkowski's father ran a hotel down in Brighton. So we all ventured back there after after the Southern Cross closed down and spent the wee hours down there. But really, yeah, it was... Uh, and then in those days, a few of the sponsors like Rothmans were one of... Rothmans Cigarettes were one of the big sponsors. Uh, they had a big uh, do in Port Melbourne there and and some of the supporters. One was, a, as I remember, at this Chinese restaurant. We had a night there. But it was really well celebrated. But actually, the thing I remember most about the celebrations was the uh, Supporters' Day they had at Cranbourne. They had a Supporters' Day at the Cranbourne race course. And... Uh, to me, I knew how much it meant to the playing group and the club to win that flag. But I, until that day, I didn't know how much it meant to the supporters. And that was one of the most enlightening and enjoyable experiences of my whole football career, just being there with those people. And it, it was, uh, I, I think it might have been the first. But nowadays, like all those footy clubs have supporters days after the grand final. But St Kilda... That was uh, really uh, groundbreaking, and it was yeah. certainly worthwhile. And it made made part for every player appreciate just how much it meant to the people that supported you. 
No apologies for following that one up with a tricky question, but obviously the bonds over the years are, are memorable. We, we know that unfortunately over time, uh, Alan Dean, Daryl Bulldog, Travis Pays, obviously recently you mentioned Ian Cooper. I know Cowboys not in the, the best of health. There have been players from that era like John Bonney very recently as well. Um, yeah. I guess how difficult has that been given the, the lifelong bonds you've had with all of these guys? It is tough. And Roger Head was another one. Yep, Roger Head yep. played in the back pocket. And, uh, yeah, it's very trying times. But we try uh, um, and get to, unfortunately, with Coops, uh, because of COVID, it was uh, not able to happen. But they are. They were hoping to have a, a Memorial Day. And the same happened with Jimmy Reed When he passed away with COVID, they had a Memorial Day down at Pakenham. And we've had a couple of days up in um, Wodonga, Aubrey, with Cowboy. Greeny and Ross Smith have virtually organised that. Ross Smith does a terrific job keeping the, the uh, players up to date with what's going on and who's, you know, maybe struggling a bit, who needs a bit of uh, a phone call or something like that. So we really, you know, it is very, very difficult when one of your real mates does pass on. Just, just to follow on, on on that, Bob, obviously COVID over the last couple of years has, has made those things a lot more difficult and kind of you know highlighted the difficulty in, in mates being able to catch up and, and stay in touch and all those sorts of things. But I guess pre-COVID, um, were you able to get together as a group regularly or, or often? And, and how do you keep in touch these days? Well, we do. We The club was really good, I suppose, being the one and only premiership side, like if the club made the finals, we were often invited down. And if they made a the grand finals, when they made the grand finals um, against Adelaide and then Collingwood twice, we were all invited down to the to the night afterwards to, to the um, celebration dinner, which is really fantastic by the club. We, uh, we have get-togethers. There's a, a former players thing that uh, a lot of people go. I don't get down as often because I'm in the country now. But And we, uh, like Breeny or the club, used to organise get-togethers. We've had reunions down at the footy club. So we do get to see one another, but we're fairly well spread out. We've got Sierra and Burden Howe over in um, Western Australia. So we don't get together as often as we would. As far as I'm concerned, I'm probably... Uh, I see a lot more of Carl Dittrich and Greeny, Ross Smith. I play golf with Ross and Jeff Moran once a year at least. We have a little challenge and um, and uh, I've been on a couple of vacations and holidays with Carl and Elena, his wife. Now, Darren mentioned earlier that you were selected for Victoria eight times but the other thing you also selected for in 1969 was the all-australian team obviously it would be a lot different to what it is these days but how did that all happen did they they just call you up and say oh we've been selected for this or was there any sort of fanfare behind it or was just a selection thing uh there's a little bit of uh it all hinged around a carnival they had every three or four years uh, and we played one in uh, Adelaide and they've been involved Western Australia 
South Australia, Victoria and Tasmania, you'd play all the sides once over the course of a week. So you had three games, maybe Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, or which was unusual in those days to play three games in a week. And then they'd announce at the end of that carnival the All-Australian side from what happened during those games. And I was lucky enough to, yeah, be named yeah, at fullback. Uh, last one from, from me. I'm just keen to, for people who might not know, obviously outside of football, I understand you were a school teacher. Is, is that correct? And you sort of take us through that that career path and um, maybe how much did, did, did your football ever cross over and things you learned from Jeansy as to the way to deal with some of the kids? Uh, probably not. <laughs> uh, look, I really in, enjoyed teaching and, uh, of course, football was nowhere near professional in those days. I often hark back to our grand final payment. I think there were 100 and, 103,000 people at the game. I don't know how much they paid to get in. Say it was a dollar. It was $103,000. Our, our payment was $50 each. <laughs> for the game and really we would have paid $50 to play it and we re- really weren't in it for the money we were in it we worked during the week we'd train two nights a week and sometimes Sunday mornings and uh, enjoyed the company of the people but it was uh, a sideline for us really Bob last one for me obviously you know Darren's and, and Aaron both have mentioned kind of the Victorian selections, the All-Australia now, but you're also a best and fairest winner in 1969 and uh, a member of the St Kilda uh, team of the century. Um, looking back on your career now, we're obviously, you know, we're 50, 60 years on from that time of your life, but what, what does that mean to you now? Uh, I was never a great one for the accolades. I was more... I just love being with my teammates and playing the game. I think, you know, it's great to get those sorts of things, but there's probably lots of other people through one circumstance or another have missed out. Uh, and you, so you've got to be on the lucky side of things in a way to, to get there. But I, I, I always did regard uh, winning the club best and fairest as probably the achievement. And making the team of the century, which I was most surprised at making, to, to be perfectly honest. But uh, winning the best and fairest at your club itself was, yeah, probably the pinnacle. And look at the current times. I assume you still keep up with the club a fair bit. Is there anyone there at the, at the club now that you sort of go, I oh, really like the look of him, and you just sort of follow him and keep with how they're going and... Keep a bit of an eye on them during the game, and anyone that really stands out yeah. to you. Yeah, I do. I do still follow them. I haven't been to. Well, I didn't get to a game last year, mainly because of COVID. I would have thought, but uh, I used to go down my son barracks for the Saints, so we used to go down to two or three games a year. Yeah, I really like. Uh, you know, I like the likes of Marshall and um, King and. And Steel, like Steel's an absolute gun, isn't he? Right. But uh, I like the way they play. They, I think, footy nowadays is uh, so much more skillful, so quick, much more quick. I don't, I couldn't see myself 
playing in today's game, to tell you the truth, because it's just speeded up that much. And you, you, don't, you haven't got time to turn around, let alone uh, get the ball. It, it is a different but, game, yeah, but I, 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 do, I do see a bit of... Uh... A bit of Bob Murray in, in Cal Wilkie and the way that Cal Wilkie goes about it it's, uh, in the back line. Yeah. Yeah, he's been good, hasn't he? Like, for a mature age, I'm pretty sure he was. He's he's done really well. Adjusted really quickly. And, yeah, oh, look, they've got some good uh, players that just got to be probably a bit more consistent and also have a better run with injuries. They had a pretty ordinary run with injury last year. And any side that really gets into the finals, most of them that win the grand final, like Melbourne last year and, and uh, Hawthorne when they were winning and the Swans when they were winning, they had really good runs with injury. Yeah, it's very true. Well, well Bob, uh, a lot of us as Saints fans, we often lament after bad days, you know, what's the point of it all? What are we, you know, why do we put ourselves through it? But uh, people like yourself have, have provided that example and that reason for the last 50 odd years. It's been the beacon as to what is actually possible. Um, and we certainly hope that uh, sooner rather than later, you get got, you guys get some well overdue company in that premiership club that you can sit there and have a beer with. And, uh, you know, that club can grow and grow and grow. But but thank you for, uh, for giving us some of those insights Sites. It was a, a wonderful journey and, and we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And I'm sure all the boys, yeah, we're all shaking at the bit for them to win another one. People say, I bet you hope, hope they don't win. <laughs> I said, as far from the truth as you could ever get. We all really would love them to win another game, another granny. And they've been so close. Yeah, they have Thanks, indeed. Boys. Thanks, Bob. Bob Murray, they're great to get those insights. I, I love that chat. Um, you know, he's our second St Kilda Premiership player that we've spoken to on the program. We've spoken to so many that should be, but um, uh, he's the, the second one of those that we've been lucky enough to speak to on the program. And, and hopefully, you know, we can tell those stories because, look, the, the, the sad and unfortunate reality is that, you know, there are, there are less and less of them each year, unfortunately. So uh, we'll try to tell those stories as much as we possibly can. And, and it was good to get those insights from, from Bob. Uh, H, the thoughts on the Carlton game. Um, obviously, as I said, they're, they're on track to win the flag. So it, it doesn't look so bad. Um, <laughs> last week's performance, I actually thought we played quite poorly, um, mm. but had a really good run in the second quarter and ended up losing by a kick. So... Yeah, I saw bits on and off um, live and then went back and quickly skipped over it, um, knowing that it wasn't a great game and that sort of thing. And I, I just put it down to it's the first hit out. Yeah. It's players are getting used to each other again. They're getting used to being back out in the ground against opposition that they haven't, like they've jostled against their own teammates. And that through training and the, uh, intra-club a bit but it's it's the first hit out against an, an actual opposition that you haven't spoken to or done anything with so it, it's just they do with they're doing things differently we're doing things differently so there's a early early season there is always a lot of i guess fumbling bad kicks not players just not finding the right position that, that happens and i've seen people read into practice games a lot you sort of just go it's it's not it's got nothing to do with what's going to happen later in the year um we look at that you talk about the carlton play now against melbourne and they've held on by five points but they were they were 
eight goals up at one point. Mm-hmm. So uh, against the reigning premiers, and you sort yeah. of go, well, yeah, without like, without most of their forward a, line, yeah, it, it's a practice match. Mm-hmm. It, it's oh, who knows? In Melbourne was Max Gorn playing? I don't know, wing in the first half or something, or it's coaches do strange things in these games to just just Cal- test the waters Cal- and see Mar- what they can find. Carlton are February March specialists as well. Yeah, yeah and, and and obviously so. under Voss they're they're pretty keen to to launch. Yeah. And look, I mean, taking nothing away from them, they've you know, they've got Chera in the side. They're in the mix to make the eight, no doubt about that. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, look, I mean, we dominated the second quarter. We were, we were level mm-hmm. with four minutes to go. I didn't like the clearance work. Obviously, we got belted in there, Cripps especially, and um, our ball use going inside fifty was poor. But um, as you say, it was quite rusty. Carlton's ball use was yeah. was pretty average last week too, and much better tonight. So hopefully, we it, get it the was same. just who was the, who yeah. was the best of the worst sides that day. Basically, it was. Mm. Um, I mean, they dominated the first quarter. We dominate the second quarter. Ten thirty uh, on a Thursday as well. Ten thirty. Yeah, it's a it's a weird time to play a game of footy as well. That's. It, do, do I, mean, you... I guess they get it in before the heat and that sort of thing, but that's about it. I am so, surprised yeah. I didn't pick Windhager, Owens, or Wangane. I, I was going to yeah. say, I mean, we, yeah. we spoke about kind of wondering how this team is going to line up yeah. round one, but do you, you take anything out of the fact that none of those guys played in that game and, and the selection, uh, I guess, for that game? Obviously, yeah, it, it wasn't a young squad. You know, We know that we get, we get guys like Gresham and, and Patton back, um, Cooper Sharman your first proper preseason and all that sort of stuff. But is it a worry that none of those guys played you know, a glorified scratch match? Um, it'll be a worry if they don't play this one either. Um, I'm not, not expecting all of them to, but I'd want, I'd want to have a look at, I mean, if, if ne- neither of them play, then it means that neither a realistic chance in round one, they, they don't have to play round one, but um, you'd like to have a look at them against a, you know, Essendon, a solid outfit that, you know, played finals last year. Um, you'd like to see how they go against a team like that on our home grounds. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't mind throwing one or two. I think they've got bigger squads, I think. Um, so you might be able to have six, seven on the bench, eight on the bench, maybe. Yep. So six on the bench, yep. Six yep. on the bench. So, yeah, I mean, if your last two interchange spots, it's certainly worth um, throwing a couple of them their way. And you also find that, if you go back into, I don't think the team list anywhere in the annals of the internet anywhere, but quite often you'll find that teams will play in the first scratch match, will play a decent team, mm. and then the second game they'll bring a lot of the younger players in. It, it seems to be a bit of a trend with a lot of teams. So it, the first hit out is quite often a reasonable side, um, mm. and then they seem to bring in... Um, the younger players that they've drafted and that in the off season, I guess it might be a point of, okay, well, where do we want to try them after we've had a bit of a look at what the senior mm-hmm. team might be? Where, where yeah. do we think we might be able to squeeze him into that? So they want to have a proper look at the team first. I, I assume to then work on that and then work. Okay. We'll slide them into this position. Mm-hmm. On, on, on these kids and one that we haven't mentioned yet tonight, uh, but obviously one that who, He's kind of been in the minds of supporters for a while. Is Jack Bartel? I, I think. Yeah. It's, I think yeah. it's clear that Ryan Burns has now passed him in the pecking order, um, and you know that he will probably play most weeks now. Ryan Burns. Um, this is a, this is going to be a really important season for Jack Bartel, um, and you would hope by the end of the year that he's banging that door down, yeah, you know, against you know, guys like Seb Ross um, for for those final spots in in the midfield. Um, how do you see Jack 
Vitel's progression over the last couple of years? Because I think most people would be pretty disappointed with the fact that he hasn't played more. Yeah, I'd like to see a bit more opportunity. I mean, even over the preseason, I think he and Burns have been okay, but, but haven't been outstanding, but they've been okay. Um, you'd like to see them. It's part of what could help us grow significantly as a team if one or both of them, you know, does a Jack Sinclair or something and kicks on. Um, yeah, I'd like to see Vitel, you know, more heavily used in that rotation, whether he needs a bigger tank. He kicked a lovely goal in the intra-club match where he sort of sharked it and kicked it on his opposite foot in traffic. Um, so he can play. He obviously had 22 and kicked two or three against Frio in the last game last year. Um, so, yeah, he's a he's another one I'd like to see, you know, well and truly get a little bit more time um, and on the ball, not not sort of sub or, or anything like that. But um, if you're going to play him, play him. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I guess yeah. the, other, the other question was that the rotation of that kind of mosquito fleet, you know, you've got a, a number of those guys in, in Higgins, Butler, uh, long to an extent in terms of that, that forward um, mm. Mason Wood to some extent as well. Cooper He's Sharma, been all right for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I guess how that looks and with Gresham coming back as well, because he's kind of, I kind of feel Jade Gresham's the X factor. Yeah. Yeah. Midfield. I think forward. Gresham. Yeah. 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 I think Gresham's going to spend probably, more time in the midfield this year than anybody will forward. Um, it's it just seemed to slot into that position when he was there and played it really well. It, it, I think clearance wise, he had almost twice as many as the next best player for us in that early early weeks of the season. So it's not going to be a factor. I don't think too much with him. He might go up forward to rest a bit, maybe, but I think he's going to be playing probably midfield mostly. Um, and yeah, the, the small amount of, uh, the large amount of small players that we've got, probably then that meant the end of Loney for us. That meant mm-hmm. we're not going to take Nash. It's, 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 we've got enough of those sort of players to fill the positions that we do need. So um, yeah, I'd say it's, it's going to be a case of if Gresham doesn't go off the field to rest, he'll go into the forward line to rest and one of the other small forwards will go onto the bench. That's unless there's someone that we look at and they go, Hey, okay, let's, let's try them in the midfield for a bit as well. See how they go. Well, I don't know. Higgins wanted to play a bit more midfield yeah. time at some point. Yeah. I think he said, so yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, I can live with that, that could be a bit yeah. of a, I mean, if it's a Gresham 80, 80, 20 in the midfield and Higgins that 20, that could be something that works. I mean, yeah, it just it just makes yeah, our, yeah. it makes the midfield that much more dynamic. I mean, I, I don't think you can overstate how important Jade Gresham is to that midfield unit. I mean, as good as Jack Steele is, and as workmanlike as Brad Crouch is, and, and some of those other guys through there, there isn't a lot of pace or you know dynamicism, if that's a word, in 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 that midfield unit. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you you want to see guys like Sinclair and and uh, Brad Hill with with ball in hand. But in terms of kind of that combination of inside-outside, two-way running, there aren't there aren't many of those guys on, on our list. And Jade Gresham gives us something in terms of speed and athleticism through the middle that no one else can. Uh, just I'm going to introduce a few segments this year, I think. Um, one proposal was sort of thinking out loud. People can suggest names for them if they like, or even segments if they like via our channels. But... Um, I want to look at things like, you know, naming awards after players. Like we obviously the best and fairest being the Jack Steele award. We spoke about the Shannon Noel for players that have to lift, but you can do 
you know, a quite achiever award being a Jason Blake or a most improved player of the year being something like Stephen Milne, who obviously went from being a rookie to a superstar before the season was over when he when he came through in 01. But that Speaking Milne of. one, yeah, well, the, the Milne one's probably one, uh, Cal Wilkie. Um, the one that I probably wanted to start with is maybe a Milne award as a final thought for this first episode as to, and I guess another way of phrasing that is that who... I'll put you both on the spot and then I'll give mine who, if you had to pick one player as a, if we're going to really get better, um, you know, I'm putting it on, we know things that'll happen like um, obviously if our Ruckman are fit, et cetera, but if we're really going to get better, who's, who's an X factor in that. And for, for me, the one player that we've only mentioned a little bit through the coverage, I think we're capable of making the eight, but, but if I was to say there's one guy that might be able to, and there's obvious answers like Max King and, and the like, but for me, Hunter Clark is probably the one that if he can click and be what he looks like he can be and push into the middle, then that might be the difference between ninth and fifth or seventh and fourth or whatever it may be. But um, yeah, there's a few that can go into that category, H, but I'm going to go with Hunter Clark. Uh, I'd, I'd probably go with someone who came back last year, mm. Jimmy Webster. Mm. If you remember what he was doing before he got injured, if he can get back to where he was, he, the drive and the just the ball use out of the back line we had with him was it was magnificent. Um, if, if all of a sudden we get this back, he's hitting up targets. 75, 80 metres out of, from goal, from a from a clearance, it puts you in such an attacking position straight away as, as opposed to a player launching it out of the back line and a bouncing out of bounds or going straight down the throat of a opposition defender. So he, his kicking is very good. And we've that that is, is actually something we really did miss when he wasn't there as well. So... We just we kind of feel like we're plugging these holes that of things we had and lost, but if we can just get them all back in together, things will start ticking. So I reckon if if he can find the form, then there's there's a huge step straight away. I think it's it's a real tough one because there's any number of guys that could fit that the mold of that question. Like I said, if if Hunter Clark takes that next step that we know he's capable of then he can be anything. Um, what Jimmy Webster was able to do when he came back in the team last year was very impressive. Um, and, and I don't think I had him in our best 22 you know, early in the year or, or preseason, but certainly uh, became that, as did someone like a Dan McKenzie, um, almost you know, one, of, one of the first picked for the work ethic and, and that sort of stuff. Similar to, to Hunter Clark is Jack Billings, who's got all the talent in the world and just hasn't been able to take that next step consistently um, and could make a real difference to the, the the way that we are perceived in the competition in terms of skill level and talent and all that type of thing. Um, one that I think can make a real difference, and, and we've already touched on it, but I think if if Josh Battle plays a full season at centre half back, if Dougal Howard stays fit, Cal Wilkie keeps doing what he's doing, and with guys like Mackenzie uh, Webster and those guys around him, if if that back six and Patton, if, if they stay fit and healthy and battle becomes that center half back that I think we all agree that we think that he should be and, and should have been for a while. 
then I think that that's almost uh, a finals worthy lift on its own. And everything else around that can become better because you're more stable through the back line. You've got better delivery coming out of defensive 50. You've got more intercept marks, which we're already not too bad at with Wilkie and, and Dougal Howard and those guys. But you add another element of, of, of Josh Battle and his big body and his good skills and the way he reads the play and, and can marshal you know, what happens further up the ground from, from that position. A little bit like Sam Fisher did. You, you mentioned chips earlier, Parco. But you know, Josh Battle can be a modern-day Sam Fisher. Uh, modern day Goose Maguire, who, who was so important to what we were trying to do in those times. And, and I think I think if Josh Battle can hold down that centre half back spot and that back six unit stays fit and healthy together, I think that's a really that, that could be a dominant back six. Yep, I think so. Like that's a, a good way to, to finish as we look to the year. So if you monitor us on our socials, set your, your nominations through for that. We'll ask the question as well via those channels and happy to take your feedback on any guest requests, any segment ideas, any awards that you want put forward. It's a new season, so uh, put forward any ideas that you may have for uh, going forward that you would like to see. We've got a lot of irons in the fire in terms of players and uh, and past players, current players, celebrities, etc. that we are chasing. A few of your suggestions on Twitter have already been pursued, so we're, uh, we've, we've started the ball rolling on some of them and hopefully we can land a couple of them uh, over the uh, over the coming weeks. There's a lot of famous Saints fans out there and we'd love to chat to them, but enjoy the Bombers hit out. Uh, obviously, we'll, we'll reconvene before the Collingwood game in round one and have a look at that. Good luck to the girls as well with some tough fixtures to come, but uh, this has been episode one for 2022 for Unplugged. It. It's good to be back.